All right, so John chapter 15, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. I'll give you a moment to get there. I'm excited for the young folks. You know, we're, we're really um, trying to invest in our, our young people, the young people who have a heart for the Lord. And, um, you know, we had sent two of our young men to Israel. I say we sent because the church paid for everything for them to go and on that. And, um, and I had mentioned when they were there in Israel that we would like to continue this. You know, if there were other young students who would like to go to that Bible extension campus in Israel that we'd like to send them. And, um, but we really didn't have any takers. And then, of course, what's taking place in Israel, most parents don't want to send off their young people to Israel at this time. But I think that this door opening down in Oregon has been just a, a wonderful opportunity. Um, I know that the Lord can really speak to his people. This sounds so weird to say, but it's when we give him time or when we give him our time. I think so often we're so busy, you know, just running to the next thing and, and we're not slowing down, Bible in hand, Lord, what, what do you want of me? What, what, you know, what do you want me to do after this thing or whatever? My heart really goes out to the young people. I think of, uh, you know, it's just kind of a different world. And, and I, I just think that there's a lot of obstacles that I look at uh, the young people in this church. I look at my grandchildren. And I think there's obstacles that they're facing that I never had to face when I was their age. And uh, so we want to do all we can to invest in our young people. Of course, we do this in hopes that they'll come back zealous for the Lord and, and want to serve him in different ways here and abroad. So, Lord, we pray that as we study your word today, as we always pray, that you'd give us insight and understanding. We thank you, Father, that there is always application to the text. We thank you, Lord, that we're not reading like an ancient textbook, but we're reading a book that is God-breathed, that is inspired by you, Lord, that is alive, that is pertinent, that is applicable uh, today as much as it was when these things were being lived out and these things were being recorded. And so, Lord, we look forward to what you have for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 15, look at verse 9. It says, As the Father loved me, Jesus, of course, is speaking, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have 
made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. I was, uh, when I opened the first service, I was sharing that, you know, you look at our world today, I just kind of alluded to it, talking about the young people, but there are so many things that can really rob us of our joy. Um, you know, Jesus told us when he was uh, answering three questions that the disciples had concerning his coming and the destruction of the, the temple and all, Jesus, in that account that all of it discourse he says because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold and so our text today obviously is dealing with love and it's also dealing with joy and I think boy those two things are are always under attack love and joy and uh, you look at the world you know we are uh, our own country um, uh, globally you know things are going haywire all over the place. The conflicts around the world are unbelievable, which should cause us to perk up and take notice because, you know, the powers that be are talking about bringing back the draft. And uh, I have a lot of grandchildren. We have a lot of grandchildren. My children have children that are adults now. And um, th that's frightening to me. I surely don't want to see uh, any of my grandchildren being drafted into something that, if it's anything like we've seen lately, it's useless and meaningless. But I, I think of the world we live in, our country, we have open borders, how troubling is that? You know, at first we, we watched the caravans of people and, and uh, there were many families, you know, and they're coming across the border and, and you just kinda, we watched and we wondered and, and we've realized that the, the flow of families have stopped quite some time ago. In fact, you rarely see children in these caravans. Now you see adults coming across, uh, only adult men coming across uh, of fighting age. Men not from, uh, <laughs> you know, not from Mexico, not from El Salvador, not from, you know, South America, but you see men coming across the border from Africa and from China. And we've seen uh, men come across the border who are Palestinian. And we've seen men come across the border who are Iranian. And you just got to wonder, what's going on? Why is this happening? They're doing it on purpose. It's almost as if they want you know, to set us up, this nation, for a attack that will not come from without, but from within. And uh, you, know, you, you see what's going on at the border and all, and it's troubling. If we're not careful, it could rob us of our joy. Our love can grow cold. You look at the moral decay. Uh, you know, I think of when I talk about challenges our young people face, I think of things that my young grandchildren know just because of the world that they live in that I did not know, and I was not naive by any stretch of the imagination, but I did not know as a, you know, high school graduate or, you know, in my early 20s, things that I never even, never would even enter my mind 
But of course, these things have been shoved down the throat of our young people because there's an agenda. And we look at this and we say, oh, Lord, our joy is waning. Our love is growing cold. Help us, Lord. We live, as I mentioned, uh, chaos in the world, a time of war. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. And of course, we have just that. I mean, every day, I don't know about you, maybe some of you don't watch the news, and I don't, I don't watch the news. I don't watch anything that's on television because you're getting a slanted view, but I do listen and I do read a lot of news, world news that's happening. And I know that, and I appreciate it if you just don't because you can't sleep at night, but I can't help myself. I want to know what's going on. And you just hear about all of these things that are happening in the world. I mean, you know, guys, I remember as a young man raising our children when the threat during the Cold War, the threat was Russia was going to send their nukes and we would send our nukes and that would be the end of the world. Yeah, you know. But uh, even back then, we weren't talking about World War III. We were just talking about the destruction of the Earth. Today, powers that be, they're talking about World War III. So we have all of these things, and these things, they steal our joy. They cause our love to grow cold. And this is why we need to go back to the Word of God. The Word of God... The word of God, the word of God. God is immutable. You know what that means? He does not change. God is not changing. I was listening to a prophecy update last night uh, from one of the teachers that I listened to. And he was talking about, uh, I didn't recognize the fellow's name, but he's a seminary professor, a seminary professor. Let me make that clear. Seminary professor. Cemetery professor. And he says, you know, God doesn't know the future. God's just as surprised as we are. You wonder, what God are you serving? It's not the Bible. Uh, it's not the God of the Bible. God is eternal. God is outside of time. And so we just live in this world that's conflicted. And it's troublesome. And it, it, it robs us of our joy. But then we come back to the scriptures. Well, the scriptures haven't changed. Jesus, when he spoke these things 2,000 years ago, they're applicable today. As we saw last week, Jesus told us that he is a true vine, that his father is a vine dresser, and that we believers, it's only applicable to believers, believers in Christ are the branches. So Father cares for the branches. Uh, Jesus wants us to bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, and we're only going to do that if we're abiding in Christ. And, and, uh, and then today in our text, we see that not only are we told to abide in, his, in him and have his word abide in us, but we're to abide in his love. And as we're abiding in his love, then there's a byproduct of that. The byproduct of abiding in Christ's love is that his joy would become our joy, and our joy would become complete. So, how wonderful that is. I guess what I'm trying to say is when we lose perspective, let's go back to the source, let's go back to the Lord, let's go back to the Word of God and gain perspective, a biblical perspective. Last week, 
we saw that we must abide in Jesus. We must have his words abiding in us. If we don't abide in Jesus, we can do nothing. Jesus told us that. If we do abide in Jesus, we will bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. If we do abide in Jesus and his word abides in us, we will ask what we desire and it shall be done for us. Because we won't be asking for things from a carnal or fleshly perspective. We'll be asking for things from a godly perspective. As we're abiding in Christ, we're going to ask for those things that are pleasing to the Lord. And again, we are now called in our text to abide in his love. How wonderful. Jesus says, as the Father loved me, verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Guys, listen to what Jesus said. He says, he says I love you with a love that can only be compared with the love that the Father has for me. That's what Jesus says. I love you with a love that can only be compared with the love that the Father has for me. Well, what kind of love is that? It's a love that cannot be measured. It's a love without beginning and without end. It's a love with no limits. Jude, you know, that little epistle from Jude, no chapters, just verses. Jude tells us in verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. Have you ever wondered about that? Keep yourself in the love of God. What was he doing? He was simply repeating what Jesus said. Jesus said, abide in my love. I mentioned it, and I think sometimes people think, oh, I don't think you're right on that. But when you look at the epistles, when you look at the things that the apostles had written, they were only writing, amplifying what they had already received from Jesus. There is no new revelation. I mean, the new revelation is the book of Revelation, where, of course, John was then seeing these things, uh, you know, pertaining to the future, things that are going to happen in the very near future. And he saw those things, remember, from a heavenly standpoint, not just from an earthly standpoint. Keep yourself in the love of God. Abide in my love. How do we abide in his love? You know, um, before I was a Christian, before I met Tracy and, and uh, just kind of you know, I had a new love in my life, and that was Tracy. But before all of that, I was searching. I was, you know, following different things and, you know, kind of trying out different things. I felt like I was in a, you know, like a spiritual uh, smorgasbord, you know. A little of this, a little of that. We'll try this, we'll try that. And I'll tell you, you know, the, the gurus, it doesn't matter who it is, for for me, it was Maharishi Yogi. And the gurus, they would speak in such a way that there was always a question mark. They never answered questions. They always created more questions. And they would speak in such a way. And, you know, it's so funny. In that whole Eastern, you know, mindfulness or, or you know, mystic thought and everything, it is so ego-driven, and yet they present themselves as being, no, we kill the ego. It's not about the ego, but it's all about the ego. 
And it's all about pretense. It's all about faking it. It's all about pretending that you know what was meant by those words that that man just spoke, you know. But it's, it's, it's not real. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't ask questions and then just kind of leave us hanging out there, you know. Okay, he tells us to do something. He tells us to abide in his love. But how do we abide in his love? He gives us the answer. Look at verse 10. Here's the answer. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So abide in my love. Okay, Lord, how? Keep my commandments. Be obedient. Obedience is how we abide in his love. You know, the word of God is so pertinent, so important. It's so applicable. It must be applied to our lives. It sounds like I'm always kind of, you know, ragging on the church. And I am. Because I'm part of it. You'll rarely hear me just pointing my finger about people in the world and those sinners outside and da 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 But many times I'll talk about the errors in the church because we're part of it. And that's part of being good stewards. Is that we recognize the errors in the church and we want to correct those, those errors. We live in a time in church history where there is this low degree of the word of God. I mean, people come to church and they don't even bring a Bible. Why? Because they go to churches where they don't need Bibles. I grew up, you know, I told you, I was raised Roman Catholic and went to parochial school. And our family did not own a Bible, not even a Catholic Bible. We did not own a Bible. Say, why not? We didn't need it. He's going to tell us everything we need to hear. When I was a kid, it was... In Latin, the message wasn't in Latin, but mass was in Latin. And so, you know, even then, you're not really able to comprehend what's being spoken, you know. But he'll tell us what we need to do. He'll tell us what we need, you know. And, and it all kind of trickles down to certain sacraments that you keep. How boring. How lifeless. Did Christ come to give us sacraments? No. He said, I've come to give you life, and that more abundantly. He's called us to be born again, born of the Spirit. He's given us his Spirit that comes and dwells within us so that we might have a greater appreciation and understanding of the Word of God that he, the Spirit, inspired the writers to write. It's so beautiful. And so many people in so many churches that profess to be believers have no idea what it means to obey God so they have no idea what it means to abide in his love because they know not the scriptures because they don't have the words of Christ the words of God abiding in them I'm so excited about the foundations class you know I think uh, a week ago, there were like five people signed up. I thought, oh, this is going to be a great class, five or six people, something like that. And then Nate had mentioned last week at, at the prayer meeting, Sunday evening, he said, oh, yeah, I, I think it's doubled or tripled from, from then, you know. And I go, oh, praise the Lord, wonderful. And I hope that the people who go to that foundations class, I hope that they, they start tonight and then they continue. I mean, it's fairly easy, you know. It's every other week. 
And, um, but I hope that you start it and I hope you finish it. Because I, I'll tell you, you you're going to grow from it. You're going to benefit from it. And you're going to have a greater appreciation and a greater love for the word of God. Um, if we do not love the author, we will not love his word. If we love the author, we will love his word. We will love his word because the author of the word is speaking to us because we're in relationship with him. We have his spirit dwelling with us. See, I mean, it just kind of goes around and around and around. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful union that we have with the Lord, all because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I mean, we are so indebted to him. So obedience, obedience. I think back, chapter 14, we're in chapter 15, but chapter 14, just to remind you, chapter 14 in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Remember the note there, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then chapter 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Guys, it's so simple, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And yet we get all uppity. Well, not us. But people get all uppity, you know. Uh, you know, how's your walk with the Lord? Oh, don't question my heart. Don't judge my heart. No one's judging your heart. We're just kind of wondering, you know. I was talking to one of my grandsons the other day, and he was concerned about somebody, and we are talking about him. And, and I said, buddy, I said, you, you hear Papa say quite often, the easiest thing we do as Christians is show up to church. I mean, that's, that takes really little effort. The harder things we do as Christians is have personal prayer time, devotional time, I mean, reading the word of God on our own. That takes a little bit more effort, you know. But just kind of showing up and, and listening, that's easy. And if we can't even do that, listen, because we don't really have an interest in that, there's a problem. There's a problem. It's not Jesus is saying, listen, here, here, here's, the, here, here's the tools so that you could judge one another. <laughs> no, I think, I think Jesus would be saying, look, at, here's some tools so you could judge yourself. You say, we're not supposed to judge ourselves. Paul says, Judge yourself, in, in essence. Determine if you're in the faith, if you're truly in the faith. And so we would look at this and say, do I, do I really believe in Jesus? Well, where's the fruit? I love his word. I seek to keep it. I'm not perfect in my obedience, but my heart is, is that I want to be obedient. I want to keep his word. I want to follow him. I want to know what his word says, rather than just, my feelings, my feelings. You know, guys, I'll tell you what a dangerous, a, a dangerous thing is. A Christian or a said Christian who gets opportunity to give counsel and refuses, and maybe they refuse out of lack of 
personal knowledge. But they refuse to give the counsel of the word of God and they give their opinion. Oh, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. We, um, you know, as a church over the decades, you know, we've been here a long, long time. And so we've seen the ebb and flow of ministry. We've seen, uh, you know, the, we've seen this church grow and shrink and split in half. And, and uh, you know, we, we've seen it all, you know. And, but we'll have people that will come by every now and again. They're new to the community, you know. I'm a counselor. I'd like to, you know, drop off my information so that, you know, you could refer people to me. You know, pastor, you, you kind of help me with this. I'm, I'm a Christian counselor. And I always say the same thing. Oh, can I see your literature? So I'll, I'll flip through their literature as they're explaining to me that they're a Christian counselor. See, you're saying something. I'm a Christian counselor. It's not like, you know, I'm a Christian doctor. I practice medicine, but I'm a Christian as well. See, that'd be different. Cancer's cancer. I'm not going to give you a Christian view on cancer. <laughs> this is cancer, you know. But counseling is quite different, isn't it? See, there are many Christian counselors, and as you look at their literature, their, their techniques, their practices are exactly the same as secular counselors. So the only difference is they say, well, I'm a Christian. So therefore, when I do psychotherapy, it's whatever. See. Do you know that Paul rebuked the believers in Corinth because they were doing things, they were going outside of the church to deal with matters that they should have dealt with on their own? In essence, the rebuke was kind of like, you guys are capable of dealing with this on your own, but you will not take responsibility. You know, he did it with suing one another. Wouldn't it be better, he says, to be wronged than to bring your, your issues into the court of law, brother against brother, really shaming the cause of Christ? Wouldn't it be better to just be wronged, suffer loss? See, it's, it's hard to give biblical counsel because you, you want people to like you. I don't want to say this because it's going to upset them. And if I say this thing, then they're going to get mad at me. And I don't want them to get mad at me. I want them to like me. And so you share your opinion. And I just think, oh, gosh, I'm always talking. My jaw's always you know, <laughs> going, and I think I will give an account for every idle word that I speak, Lord. Oh, Lord, have mercy. But I know this, if I'm giving counsel to someone, I'm not going to share my opinion. And if I'm sharing my opinion, I always make it clear, this is my opinion. I do it here, don't I? Even when I'm teaching the word of God, I'll say, now this is my opinion. And I always make a clarification here. So, and I always say to you, you know what you could do my, with my opinion? You could wad it up and chuck it in the trash can on your way out the door. Do you see what I'm saying, guys? That the word of God is a standard. It's not my word. It's not my interpretation of the word. It's his word. It's the way his word reads. It should be abiding in us. And if it's abiding in us, we love his word. We want to abide in his word, his word abiding in us, us abiding in him, then we're going to abide in his love. 
And if we're abiding in his love, the byproduct of abiding in his love is his joy. My joy may remain in you. Oh, do you need joy? I'll tell you, sometimes I look and I think, we need joy. (laughs) Sometimes we just look like we've been sucking lemons, you know, and we need joy. We need the joy of the Lord, not the joy uh, you know, of the world, but the joy of the Lord. The, the word remains used here in this particular case, it, it means to cause to overflow, to be present in greater abundance. And this joy, his joy, of course, it's not, it's not, like, the, it's not like happiness because happiness is dependent upon what's happening, right? It is. If things are good, oh, man, the sun is shining. We're going to the beach. We're going to enjoy the sunshine. We're going to go have an, oh, man, I'm so happy, you know. We're going to go to the beach, but a storm rolled in. The tide came up and washed the house away, you know. I'm not happy anymore because it's all dependent upon what's happening. But his joy is a result of putting Jesus first. Remember the acronym? I remember learning that when I was a young Christian. Joy. Jesus first, others second, you last. You last. I was sharing with the first service that, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm a, ch- I'm a child of the 70s. I mean, that's kind of when I, you know, I was born in the 50s. So my teenage years was young men, man's years was in the 70s. And, uh, you know, you kind of have a perspective, you know. Did we get things right in the 70s? Oh, no, I don't think so. But I saw a definite shift that took place in the 80s. In the 70s, maybe we would say things like, I need to go find myself. And usually that meant something like sticking your thumb out, maybe you have a few bucks in your pocket, and you're just going to go wherever <laughs> that car takes you or whatever, you know, or, or whatever. You're going to pack up your backpack and you're going you're gonna to just go find yourself, you know. But there was this sense of, uh, you know, I'm not in this world alone. I live with other people. I think of even the music of the 70s. Let us love one another. I mean, they obviously stole that from Jesus, you know. But, but they used to sing about that. Love, love. Love is not something that you keep to yourself. Love is not love unless it's shared. And of course, the 70s, you know, it was, it was 60s and 70s all about love. You get to the 80s. Well, we were raising children in the 80s and 90s. Some, most of the time, Tracy was homeschooling our kids, but there was a few times that our children were in school. And um, I remember when Nehemiah was in school, I think it was kindergarten, and uh, his, uh, his teacher would always kind of have to put him in the hallway because he was, uh, his big brother was a drummer, and so Nehemiah was always drumming which drew, drove the teacher nuts, you know, and so she would put him out in the hallway. And uh, He was also, uh, you know, brought before the authorities for bringing weapons to school. He brought a, um, a G.I. Joe uh, pistol, 
you, that was a wonderful conversation <laughs> we had with the principal. But my wife kept saying, take it out of his, he didn't bring a weapon, he brought a toy. It's a toy. It's not a weapon. It's a toy. The teacher across the way, he was a cool guy. He came and he met Tracy one time, as Tracy sees once again her little guy in the hallway. And he comes and he says, I know it's none of my business, but you need to get that kid out of the school. He needs to go and, 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 and play in a barn and learn outdoors. And he needs, because this, this kid has a lot of creativity and they're squashing it here. Wonderful advice. I remember going to some events, you know, and Tracy and I always thought it was strange when, you know, the kids would do something. I mean, it wasn't anything spectacular. It was just kind of normal stuff. Everyone, everyone, give yourself an applause and a pat on the back. And Tracy and I are going, yuck. Sorry, I just described most of your upbringing, the 80s, <laughs> where, where all of a sudden the focus became self. It's no longer joy, it's Y-O-J, whatever that would spell. It's, it's not Jesus first. And this is where we are today. People that put self first, it's about me. We say the most foolish things. Jesus wants me to be happy. That's why he wants me out of this loveless marriage that I'm in. Oh, is that what the word of God says? Word of God doesn't say that. Word of God says I hate divorce. Word of God says in Malachi, it's like violence. It's like murdering something. Oh, oh. Again, wouldn't it be better to suffer loss? Do, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, guys, here's the thing. Here's the point. Some of you are looking at me like I'm teaching some foreign thing. This is Bible. When you look at the Bible, you realize that the Lord says, you know what? He expects things from me. He expects me not to the same level because we could never do it, but he expects me, followers of Jesus, they were first called Christians in Antioch, little Christ. He wants me, as a Christian, to emulate him. Selfless. Giving. Sacrificial. Long-suffering. I mean, that's what he wants. And I suggest that's where joy is found. It's the result of abiding in Jesus and his words abiding in us. His joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, among eight other things. As believers, our life is not to be a joyless experience. It's to be full of joy, but for the right reasons. David wrote, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand is pleasures evermore. As he's hiding for, from Saul, 
as Saul's trying to pierce him to the wall. As Saul says, I'm going to kill you, David. As David leaves Jerusalem with his head hanging and covered and his feet bare because he knows that this, this, this war that's happening in Jerusalem by Absalom and men that were once loyal to him is his fault because of his selfish decision to take one of his mighty men's wife and to lie with her. And when he found that she became pregnant, rather than fessing up and saying, I've done wrong by you, Uriah, he sets him up in hopes that Uriah would think it's his child. That's why David is a man after God's own heart. Not because he did everything right, because David took his lumps. He was broken, and he knew, I've brought this upon myself. But more importantly, because he was not a selfish person, I brought this upon the people. And if I don't walk, my men will fight. And if my men fight, they're fighting against my son and my men. And we have civil war within our city. And he walked. Shimei comes out. He's cursing David. He's throwing rocks at David. One of David's mighty men. Let me just go take his head off. He can't talk to the king like that. Put your sword back into the sheath. How do we know that God hasn't put that in his mouth? That's a man after God's own heart. Maybe God wants him to curse me. See, we don't even think like that. Because with us, it's always, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to have this superficial joy that's always based upon everything going well. I mean, this is the whole health, wealth, and, and the, the, you know, the lie that we see in many of these churches. This, this pyramid scheme, and people are too stupid to recognize that it's a pyramid scheme. And the only one getting rich is the pastor manipulator at the top of the pyramid telling the people they need to sow into his ministry using scriptures, twisting it, and because people do not know the word of God, they give, and they give sacrificially so they can get selfishly. And it never happens. And many of them turn away from the Lord and say, the Lord was not honest. The Lord did not deliver. And the Lord would say, I never promised you that. Where do you get that? Where do you get that? That I promised you wealth. I promised you persecution. I promised you trouble. I promised you hardships because of me. If they treated me this way, I promised you that they would treat you that way. And sadly, modern-day Christianity, we think it's a strange thing. Modern-day Christianity, we don't even want to look at what James has to say about trials or what Peter has to say about trials because trials shouldn't be a part of our life. I'm a child of God. I'm the head, not the tail. And we take Scripture, and it's like children Playing with something that's precious. Vance Havner called it playing, playing marbles with diamonds. We have this precious word of God, and we don't know how to handle the word of God, and we set ourselves up for failure because we don't understand what the Lord has truly called us to. 
Verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's building upon what we saw in chapter 13. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. His, his love, his love was to death, the cross. His love was eternal, is eternal. His love was always giving, 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 giving. And his love was also always taking. Jesus took our sins. Jesus took the blows we deserved. See, he, see there's a problem. If Christians, they read the scriptures, and, and we're going to get there, you know, if the Lord tarries, or if we, you know, I shouldn't put it that way, but we're going to look at the sufferings of Christ, the passions of Christ. I, I can't, I can't, I can't read through it without a lump in my throat. Because I know what the scriptures teach, because I deserve that. Slapped in the face, mocked, beaten on the head, spat upon. I deserve that. Crucified. I deserve that. You deserve that. He stepped in and he took our place. That's love. It's a love that, that takes. He took the wrath of God. The Bible says we're not subject to the wrath of God in Christ. Why? Because God just kind of wipes it away and says, I'm not mad anymore. No. The Bible is clear. Because, because Father poured out his love. Wait a minute. Jesus, you just said in our text, that, that you love us with the same love that the Father loved you. Yep. Isaiah said it pleased the Father to bruise him. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right unless we understand the scriptures. And when we understand the, understand the scriptures, it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. And you look at this and you say, oh, Lord. Do you know that in heaven, and we don't know for sure, but it's assumed that in heaven, because we'll have new bodies, that the scars that we were inflicted with here in this earth, you know, I had, I had brain surgery years ago. I got a scar going down my, my noggin here. I got back surgery. I, got, I always forget about the back one. I never see it, you know, but... Um, but that in heaven we'll have new bodies and there will be no scars. There will be no, uh, nothing of this life. But from the book of Revelation, it's assumed that the only one who will bear the marks, the scars of their time here on earth will be Jesus. John sees him as a lamb who was slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, you're the line of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, that's me. He's the head, not the tail. And he turns and he sees a lamb as if it had been slaughtered. A bloody, gory mess. I mean, we, you know, guys, when we look at the Old Testament, many of us, we, we kind of, even when we think of the priest, we think of, we almost picture in our minds because maybe the pictures we have or whatever, but, you know, they're just out there and they're just slaughtering the goats and the lambs and everything. Remember, there's a basin there full of water. 
on the backs of oxen. For what purpose? So that the priest could bathe in it. Bathe from what? From the blood dripping off of their bodies, splattered in their faces. This vivid picture for Israel. Sin kills. Your sin is worthy of death. And if we don't understand that, as modern-day Christians, we will never, we will never desire to abide in his word or to abide in Christ. It will just be something we do. It's like we're masons or something. Let's go to the lodge for the day. Shame on us. We should be moved. We should be, we should be so moved and so happy and so grateful. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that we might that he might bring us to God. Isn't that beautiful? How are we seen? We're seen clothed in the robes of his righteousness. Paul says that we, be, we become the righteousness of God. What a trade-off. I don't know about you, but I lived with myself last week. You lived with yourself last week. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Grace upon grace upon grace should come to mind because that's the only way we stand. Because of what Christ has done. Anyway, I'm, I'm out of time. Surprise, surprise. He says, these things, verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. This stuck with John. Nehemiah, you and Mario could come forward. But I, I just want to show you this. And, and I want you to show you that that. What I'm saying, and I might sound like an emotional idiot up here, but I'm telling you that men and women <laughs> that were touched by Jesus, and we see them throughout the scriptures, they were forever touched by Jesus. And for John, it's obvious that this thing stuck in his mind. What's that? Love. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John writes, not Jesus, John writes, but by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also, also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. John is saying, he set the example, he's done it. it can't, if we're first, if we're always first in line in our life, if we're always pat yourself on the back, give yourself an applaud, rather than waiting for the applaud from heaven, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. John 3.18, my little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's action. I made mention that, you know, depending upon how old you are and, and what kind of upbringing, what kind of father or mother you had, you know, there's a lot of, especially older people, I think dads, I hope, were mellowing and becoming better and more in touch and more in tune. But, you know, there were a lot of people who had dads that just kind of, you know, kept them at an arm's distance. And kind of there, you know, of course I love you. I, who do you think put, bought those clothes that you're wearing on your back? Of course I love you. And that's not really an expression of love. That's duty. That's what you should do, Dad. You brought him into the 
world, put clothes on his back, you know. But there is an obligation, but the obligation is to allow that same love that we've received to flow out to others. Jesus laid down his life. We should lay down our life for one another. John, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Look at that, and knows God. If we don't love, John would say, you don't really know God. Again, don't judge my heart. It's not, no one's judging your heart. It's the Holy Spirit saying, you, Danny, Danny, you judge your heart. Judge your heart, Danny, based upon the word of God. It's not us judging one another. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's like John couldn't shake this. It had taken grip of him. One more, John chapter 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. No one has seen God. No one has seen God at any time. I believe that I came to faith in Christ because of the moving of the Holy Spirit, obviously. That's biblical. But I believe that my interest in the gospel and the Lord of the gospel was because people loved me. His people loved me. And that piqued my interest. It doesn't happen in a void. It's when we're doing what the Lord's called us to do, when we're loving the way the Lord wants us to love, when we're loving people. We're not condoning sin. That's not love. That's never love. But we're taking a stand on truth, and we're loving, and we're always giving people a reason for the hope that lies within us. Would you stand with me, please? Help us, Lord to take seriously your word, Father. I thank you, Lord, that your word, there are times when your word makes me feel really uncomfortable. Thank you for that. But I also thank you because I belong to you that I don't remain in that uncomfortable place. I find that when I'm uncomfortable because things aren't right, that the remedy is always acknowledgement, confessing, and turning repentance. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. We love you. We thank you. Pray that if there's anyone here that has not placed their faith in you, that today would be their day, that they would not leave here without asking someone or coming up talking to me, somebody, and saying, please tell me, what must I do to be saved? And we'll simply say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. So Lord, move, work, encourage, challenge. Thank you, Lord, for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.